it is great to have you here at church this, this last day of July. And we are going to uh, continue, get back into our series, Exodus Journey, today. And um, if you're visiting or if you're watching online for the first time, my name is Anthony. I'm pastor here at Free Church, and we're so glad that you are joining with us today. Uh, we had an awesome service last week with, with our friend Danny Looney and his wife Alicia and their children from Rock Bottom Hope. Um, the week before that, uh, we were honored to have Nathan Freshour, who did some of our tithe and offering this morning, give us a message. And we are going to finish up, though, uh, this Exodus Journey series we have been on um, really since October of 2021. We're going to spend the next four weeks uh, finishing our look at Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And basically, we're spending about uh, three weeks in Numbers, and we're going to go through the whole book of Deuteronomy in one day. It's going to be super easy. It's a very simple book to go through in about 45 minutes. So that's what we're going to be doing. Um, but I'll give you a little recap, and, and usually we have some speaker-type announcements I'll give you when I finish my message. Uh, but I'll give you a little recap of where we've been in this series. So God has used Moses to lead the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, he did so by working different miracles and plagues against the Egyptians to bring about Israel's freedom. He delivered them as they passed through the Red Sea to escape the Egyptians. They made their way to Mount Sinai where the entire nation had this encounter with God. Moses goes up on top of Mount Sinai where he receives what we call the law, not just the Ten Commandments, but about 600 laws that Moses receives for the nation of Israel. And we spent a part of our series called The Map looking at, and that's what we just finished a couple of weeks ago, The Map is looking at what it means to live as God's chosen people. Um, it talks about some morality laws, some sacrificial, ceremonial, and worship laws for the nation of Israel. It establishes Israel's covenant with God that we now are walking into and inheriting today as Christians. And so we have gone through, part one was the sea the deliverance and through the Red Sea, part two, the mountain, the encounters at Mount Sinai, and then part three, the map where we looked at the law. And so we wrap up with our fourth part of the Exodus journey that is just simply called the desert. And the heat the last couple days, it feels kind of like the desert. However, it's been humid. And so not quite desert-like the last couple of days. Um, I am one who enjoys the heat. I actually enjoy the desert. And what do you think about when you think about deserts? Uh, when I think about deserts, if, if I'm being transparent, the very first thing that comes into mind for me is uh, the Looney Tunes cartoon, Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner. It's the first thing that comes to mind when I think of the desert. Um, funny, slapstick comedy that is too graphic and violent for today's children uh, of a coyote uh, relentlessly chasing down his prey and always being disappointed. That's what comes to mind for me. The desert is this, this beautiful place that has amazing rock formations, cactuses, wildlife, cool nights, hot days. But until the last hundred years or so, in the modern American culture that we live in, the desert is nice because it's somewhere where we vacation. The desert is nice because we have learned how to basically steal water from other people to bring it to the desert so people can live in the desert and enjoy the water there. So we, we've made the desert work 
But up until recently, the desert was a place you did not want to live because it did not have the sustenance that you needed to survive, mainly water. And so we're going to be looking at how the nation of Israel is going to be spending just a little bit of time, only about 40 years, in the desert before they make their way into the promised land. And so we're going to look, kind of just um, skip through a couple chapters, and I'll start here in Numbers 10. If you want to follow along, there'll be some verses on the screen behind me. There'll be um, some verses on your TV or your phone or tablet that you're watching on now. But um, in Numbers 10, Israel sets out from Mount Sinai. They've been here for about a year. So they, they literally pack up camp. And as they travel, as they're making their way from Mount Sinai, they just have what would essentially only be about a week or two's journey to get to the promised land, the people start to complain about their circumstances. This leads um, God to help Moses install a formal leadership system so that he can handle some of the people's complaints. How many of you love people that complain? They're just wonderful. How many of you are people that complain? You're not so wonderful. And so complaining, receiving complaints, giving complaints, and then they start to, after that, they complain about their lack of meat. Back in Egypt, we ate meat. And out here in the desert, all we have is manna. And so God gets frustrated, but he sends them quail to eat. And they eat the quail. And for those who belly ached and complained, and for those who acted out in greed and insatiable lust for meat and not giving credit to God for what he had given, God strikes some of them dead with a plague. This leads to a new set of complaining where now Moses' own sister Miriam and Moses' own brother Aaron, they question Moses' leadership, and that causes God to make Miriam's hands turn into leprous hands. Interesting thing to have happen. But her hands are cleansed, Aaron and Miriam repent, and they continue to follow their brother Moses as he attempts to lead the nation. And so We're going to kind of land today, though, in Numbers 13 and 14. And back um, right around New Year's weekend, we we actually fast-forwarded to this passage, and we went over a message that we just titled, Grapes and Giants. Do you remember that? Do you see grapes or do you see giants? If you would like to go back, you can listen to that on our website or app, on YouTube, on Facebook. We won't get into it too much, but we're going to look at that same account, the Grapes and Giants account. We're going to look at it from a different perspective today and and look at another thing that's happening and how it affects us today. And so God tells Moses to send in 12 spies to do a reconnaissance mission within the land that God has prepared for them, the land of Canaan. We often call it the promised land. That's because it's the land that God promised them, the land that would soon become the nation of Israel, God tells Moses to send in some spies to see what the land is like. And we'll read here in verse 17 and 20 of chapter 13 what God tells them to look for. It says, Go up into the Negev and go into all the hill country and see what the land is. See whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that dwell in there, if they're camps, if they're cities, if they're strongholds, see if the land is rich or poor, whether there's trees or not, be of good courage and bring some fruit. 
That's, that's our life model. Be of good courage and bring fruit. And so the 12 spies, they go into this reconnaissance mission and they spend 40 days in the land. They spend 40 days in Canaan. They spend 40 days in what would become the nation of Israel. And while they are there, it is the time of the harvest. And they bring back this cluster of grapes that is so big that they have to carry the large cluster of grapes on a pole that took two men to carry back all the way to the camp on the other side of the Jordan River. And so here is their report. Twelve spies, one from every tribe of the nation of Israel. In verse 26 of chapter 13, it says, The spies came to Moses, and they came to Aaron his brother, and to all of the congregation, to all of the nation of Israel. They came to them in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. They told him, meaning Moses, we came into the land to which you sent us and the land flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. That's good. There's milk, there's honey, there's fruit. God was right. You're right, Moses. The land is good. It's abundant. It's prosperous. But, verse 28, but the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. This is going to be rough, Moses. These people are far stronger than us, far better warriors than us. They outnumber us. They are literally, physically, in stature, giants. They're very strong. There is no way we can take the milk, the honey, the grapes, the land. We are in trouble. But Caleb and Joshua, we'll learn later, two of the twelve, They quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it. Who cares about the giants? Who cares about our enemies? If God is for us, who can be against us? No weapon formed against us will prosper. Let's go in. Let us go up at once and occupy the land for we are well able to overcome it. We're well able to overcome the enemy. Verse 31, it says, Then the men, the other ten who had gone up with Caleb and Aaron, said, We are not able to go up against the people. For the people there are stronger than our people. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report. If you're taking notes this morning, if you're not, do. You have a thing called notes on your phone. Some of you have this thing called a pen. You can scratch it on another thing called a piece of paper. But write this down. They brought to the people a bad report. It says the spies brought to the people. They brought to Israel a bad report. They brought them a bad report of the land that they had spied out. And they said, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. They just straight up made that up. Now, We don't get into this in our Exodus journey series, but there is an account 
where the land does swallow up some people, but it happens to be Israelites um, who had disobeyed God. It was not because of the enemy that was there. So the land of ours, its inhabitants. All the people that we saw in the land are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim. Those are the sons of Anak who come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seem to them. They're, they're so big that we're just like these puny grasshoppers. We can't take this land. We cannot defeat the enemy. And so the nation receives this bad report. And at the sound of the bad report, the people rebel. And ironically, they demand to go back into slavery. We were better off as slaves. We were better off in Egypt. We were better off under the thumb of Pharaoh. It would be better for us to die at the end of a long life as a slave in Egypt than it would be for us to die out here in battle in the desert. So Moses and Aaron are are literally disgusted. They're so disgusted that they fall on their faces before the people of Israel. They they can't believe their ears. We've spent all this time, we've given up our very lives to deliver you from slavery, and this is what you're going to do to us. They are disgusted. And now Joshua and Caleb, the two spies that did not bring a bad report, they join with Moses and with Aaron, and they're disgusted. And Caleb and, Aaron, uh, Caleb and Joshua, they do what we all do when we get frustrated. We just tear our shirts off. And that's what they do. They're like, we're so mad. How mad are you guys? We're <laughs> this mad. Ripping our shirts off. And as they rip their shirts, this is what they say in verse 7. The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land. Take notes, write that down too. If the Lord delights in us, he will. If God delights in us, he will. He will bring us into this land and give the land to us. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. But don't rebel against the Lord. You guys, you're all rebelling. Don't rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread to us. That's a weird statement. I wrestled with that a little bit. But basically, if we take these people, we will have everything we need. This is going to be, with God, something that we can do. So do not rebel. The people's protection is removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Write that down too. The enemy's protection is removed from them. The enemy's protection is removed from them. The Lord is with us. Church, that's for those who follow Christ. The enemy's protection is removed. God is with us. And because of that, we do not need to fear. So Joshua and Caleb, not only did they see that the grapes, the opportunities, instead of giants, instead of the obstacles, Joshua and Caleb, they chose faith instead of fear. They knew that if God was for them, 
that their enemies could not stand against them. But instead of being encouraged, instead of being challenged, the people set out to stone Joshua and Caleb to death. That's crazy. That this shows me that there is a spiritual element to this. Like, this is not a natural response. When people speak out in faith and say, yes, God's going to deliver us. Remember, he already did. He's going to deliver us again. And and they picked up stones to, to kill them. That's not a natural response. That's an evil response. The enemy wants to stop God's plans. So they set out to stone Joshua and Caleb. And so God shows up. Says that the glory of God began to shine near the tabernacle. And as people are picking up stones to slaughter Joshua and Caleb, they're like, God showed up. We probably should put down the stones. God reminds them of his presence. And God speaks to Moses. And and the book of Numbers does not say if God speaks to Moses so that the whole nation can hear. I, I don't think that's what's happening. It's possible. It's pretty clear to me that God speaks face-to-face with Moses, and Moses relays this message. And so Moses goes to the tabernacle. The entire nation is filled with chaos and drama at this moment. And in verse 11, it says, The Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them, I will strike them with pestilence, And disinherit them. And I will make of you a great nation. And mightier than they are. This is the exact same thing that God says to Moses when Moses comes down from Mount Sinai. Literally just days before. And he sees them building this idol. And God's like, hey, I'll wipe them all out. And I'll start all over just with you. But just like before... Moses intercedes again for the people of Israel. And he's like, whoa, God, hold up. You know, the nations of the earth will see what you've done, and then they'll see that you've slaughtered the people. And and people will be confused. They, They won't give you credit. They won't give you glory. And so, God, for your name, for your sake, let these people live. And Moses does something here that's brilliant. It seems almost as if it's inappropriate, but it is so appropriate. Moses uses God's own words to plead with God. Because if you recall, when Moses begged God to spare the people over the whole golden calf debacle, God says, okay, I won't kill them. You will lead them into the nation of Israel. And Moses says, whoa, not unless you go with us. And God's like, I'll go in front of you. And Moses says, no, 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 no. If you don't go with us, we don't even want to go. And God says, I'll go. And Moses says, okay, prove it. Prove to me that you will come with us, God, by revealing to me your glory. And so God reveals his own glory to Moses on Mount Sinai as he hides him in a cleft of a rock. And what is it that that God says as he passes by? It says, as God passed by, He declared, the Lord, the Lord, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Remember that? So Moses uses that same speech, and he says this in verse 17. 
Now please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, God. Verse 18, God, remember, you said, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving inequity and transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people. According to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. God, you've brought us this far. You've forgiven us thus far. You said you're slow to anger. You said you're abounding in steadfast love. I know that you will not forget the iniquity of the people and it will come upon them, but please spare them from this, God. You see, we need to go before God with God's own declarations and word and say, God, remember your promises. That is not only an appropriate thing to do, but it is a wonderful, worshipful thing to do. So God says, okay, I won't kill them yet. But here's the deal. I'm going to spare them, Moses, because you've asked. And for my name's sake, I'm going to spare them. However, I'm bringing upon the nation what would be a devastating judgment. You see, God would, and I actually, uh, in my notes, I wrote this word. I was like, I don't know if this is the right word, but I think it is. God would doom, God would doom the nation to wander in the wilderness for 40 years before they would ever be allowed to enter the land. I'm like, that seems nice. You just got to wait 40 years. We can do it 40 years. Except for life expectancy was not much more than 40 years. They would have to wait 40 years before entering into the promised land. And God says, they're going to wait 40 years. And the reason why they're going to wait 40 years is that every single adult who left Egypt as a slave freed from slavery. Every single adult will die before the nation enters into the land I promised. Only the kids will get to enter. And you say, Pastor, what age do you stop being a kid? Well, it says 20 years old. Every person 20 years old and younger who left Egypt, freed from slavery, they will get to inherit the land. But if they're 21, 22, 62, 42, 32, it doesn't matter. They don't get to go. Those who are 20 and under, they will be allowed to enter, but only after they have toiled for 40 years in the wilderness. He actually says they'll be shepherds in this land. And the only adults over age 20 who would be allowed to enter would be Joshua and Caleb. There's two names missing from that list. What, what about Moses? What about Aaron? What about Miriam? We'll see what happens to them. Only Joshua and Caleb, because they saw grapes and not giants. And they chose faith over fear. In fact, those two were the only ones of the 12 spies not struck dead on that day. All of the other spies, we never talk about that. But the 10 spies, what happened to them? God struck them dead. Joshua and Caleb were allowed to survive, and not only allowed to survive, they were allowed to enter into the land, but it was 40 years later. So Moses has to go and tell the people, 
And when Moses goes and tells the people, the people are devastated. How many of you would be crushed, devastated? So what do they do? Well, they do like what our kids do when we get them in trouble. Hey, because you didn't clean your room, you don't get to go to wherever it is we were going tonight. And what do your kids do? They run to that room and they clean it up as fast as they can. And you being the jerk of a parent you are, you're like, it's too late. <laughs> Actually, it's not a jerk thing to do. It's the right thing to do. This is what God does. They assemble themselves together. They do it without consulting Moses. They do it without the Ark of the Covenant. They do it without Joshua, who would be a military leader. They do it without Caleb. And they rush into Canaan saying, we got this. We're going to take on the enemy. But it was too late. God was not with them this time. He was no longer with them in battle, as Joshua and Caleb had said he would be. God had spoken judgment. And no land would be taken for another 40 years. And this really got to me. The land would not be taken at their own hands. But the land would be taken at the hands of their children. I believe that God sees things in the long view. I believe, because it's true, God, God doesn't deal in the confines of time. And so God may promise us things that we may rebel against him, but God's still going to complete his promises, and he'll do it through our children or our grandchildren if he has to. And I would say yes and amen. I want my children and grandchildren to see great and abundant things, but I don't want to miss out on what God has for our family. I want to walk in it too. So their kids would have to win the battle that they were afraid to fight. You see, God had promised this nation salvation from slavery. God had promised that he would save this people to be a people for his own possession. He promised them a home. He promised them an inheritance. God had done so much up to this point. He had talked through a burning bush. He brought the plagues upon the land of Egypt. He um, established the Passover where the angel of death passed over this nation and they saw it. He led them through the Red Sea. The entire nation encountered him on Mount Sinai. And all of this that God did for the people, it was all this wonderful, abundant offer of grace. God didn't have to rescue anybody. God didn't have to rescue them from slavery. He didn't have to rescue them again and again every time they failed. But God did it anyways out of love, out of his purposes, and out of his promises to their ancestor, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He offered this gift freely. In the nation of Israel, the only thing they had to do to inherit this blessing, the only thing they had to do to walk in God's grace was to simply respond with one thing, with one word. Does anybody know what that word is? Faith. They just had to respond in faith. And that faith would lead to obedience. You see, this is what happened in the Passover. Moses was like, hey, guys, I know it sounds weird, but kill a lamb, wipe the blood over the doorpost, eat real fast, and pack all your stuff to leave. And they're like, we got this. We'll do it. We'll act in faith. And that faith led them to obedience. When they came up against the obstacle of the Red Sea with Egypt at their feet and at their ankles, chasing them down to slaughter them, 
God's like, hey, don't worry, I got this. I'm going to spread the Red Sea open and you're going to walk right through it and then I'm going to collapse it on the Egyptians. And even though they were scared, they're like, okay, we're acting in faith. Here's the sea splitting in front of us. And that faith led to obedience and they stepped onto the sand of the sea and they walked right through. But here, they respond with fear. They don't respond with faith. They respond with doubt. And their fear and their doubt lead them not to obedience. Instead, it leads them to rebellion. And the very thing that Israel was freed for, which was freedom, the very thing they were freed for, despite all the miracles they'd seen, despite the long journey they'd been on, a year and a half, they missed out. They missed out on the blessing that was promised just to them. God promises us salvation. God promises us freedom from Satan, sin, hell, and death. God accomplishes that promise for us through the life of Jesus, through the death of Jesus, through the resurrection of Jesus. And God gives us what Jesus has to offer, forgiveness of sins, restored relationship with God, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and everlasting life. God gives that to us as this wonderful gift of grace. And just like Israel, who was saved again and again and again, the only thing we have to do to receive this gift is to respond with one word. That's faith. And when we respond in faith, that faith leads us to obedience and not rebellion. Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God so that no one may boast. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. Paul spells it out very clear. God gives this gift freely. We receive it in faith. Faith leads to obedience so that we can walk in the plans that God has for us. But we can miss out on this gift if we don't respond in faith. And instead, if we respond with fear, with control, with arrogance, with rebellion. I want to tell you today, if you respond in faith, God will hear and God will rescue you. Respond to God with faith and he will hear. If you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. If you seek him, you will find him. But here's where I want to just kind of like land this and and draw this passage to a close today. Because I said we're going to look at something we don't normally look at. Usually we focus on two different parties in this story. We usually focus on first the ten spies. The ten spies, they saw giants instead of grapes. And they missed out because they responded with fear and not with faith. Okay, we focus on them. But we, we usually focus on two people, Caleb and Joshua. Look at these guys. Great faith. They saw grapes. They didn't see giants. They responded with obedience and faith, not fear. But here's someone in this story that we don't ever look at, that God really put on my heart as, as I was preparing over the last couple of weeks, knowing I would be speaking on this. God kept pointing the same group out to me each time I was 
just going through this in my head, this, this passage of Scripture. And the group we never focus on here is the nation as a whole. We normally focus on, on the spies. We focus on Caleb and Joshua. But here's, here's where I want you to look at. The spies, the ten spies, they brought the bad report. The ten spies said, we can't do it. The ten spies said, it's too hard. The ten spies said, the enemy is too great. But the real fault, the real problem here is not the spies. The real problem was the nation. Because the nation listened to what the spies had to say. The nation received the bad report in their heart. The nation believed the bad report in their mind. And the nation responded not with faith, but with fear. And when they responded with fear instead of faith, they were not able to obey. Instead, they rebelled. These people had God himself as their messenger. They had God's prophet, the greatest prophet to this point in history, Moses. They could have listened to Moses. They could have listened to Yahweh, God himself. God, working through Moses, had proved himself again and again with his faithfulness, with his miracles, with their very freedom. But instead of listening to God, Instead of listening even to Moses, they listened to ten unknown, noisy, negative spies. You get where I'm going? They could have listened to God. They listened to ten guys they didn't know that were noisy and that were negative. Ten strangers who focused on giants and were filled with fear. Ten people who were more interested in comfort and safety than they were their very freedom. And as I was reading through this, I, I, I came to realize something I've always known. The negative people are always the noisiest ones. You could lead a group of thousands. You could lead a group of millions. You could lead a group of hundreds. And as a leader, we typically don't listen to the masses. We typically, if we're not acting out in faith, we typically tend to listen to the ten noisy ones. And we think that we're doing a crappy job. And we think that everything's falling apart because we're listening to the loudest people in the room. And if you look around at our culture, you will see people enraged and acting in absolute madness over whatever social issue you want to bring up. And just because they're so loud and they bang their pots and pans and they get themselves on a floor and they throw a fit and they refuse to move, for some stupid reason we listen to them. And we don't listen to the truth. What's going to happen if, if we don't listen to the fit throwers? Nothing. 
but we listen to the fit throwers out of fear. And here we are. As a nation, here we are. The entire nation of adults missed out on their blessing because they listened to 10 babies. That's what they did. An entire nation of adults. They were listening to the wrong voice. A voice that led them to rebellion and a voice that led them astray. And here's our big question for the day. What voices are you listening to? Who are you listening to? Are you listening to God's word? Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? Are you listening to your conscience that God put there? Are you listening to your church community? If you just attend church or watch online but are not plugged into church community, you actually don't have anybody to listen to. Are you listening to spiritual leaders that God has put over you? Who are you listening to? Or are you listening to the father of lies? Are you listening to the world? Are you listening to culture, to Hollywood, to the music industry? Are you listening to your favorite athlete or celebrity? Are you listening to peers who pressure you into doing things that you don't want to do? Are you listening to pornography in our sex-obsessed culture? Are you listening to the news media which absolutely makes millions off of your fear? Are you listening to academia, to school, to politicians, to activists? Are you listening to family who don't understand the relationship that you possess in Christ? Who are you listening to? What, what voices are you allowing to dominate your thinking? I, I wrote a list of like 50 phrases. I'll read like three. Um, you were meant to be yourself, not who God made you and declared to be. You be you, boo. <laughs> the commandments in the Bible, those are just to control weak people. You're already saved. Sin doesn't matter. You're whatever you feel like. God doesn't want you to stay married to him. God wants you to be happy. Again and again and again. I could name a hundred things. But here's the deal. The more you listen to lies, the more you believe them. Well, pastor, the lies I inundate my mind with don't affect me. Oh, they the more you listen to lies, the more you believe them. The less you listen to the truth, the less you'll believe them. The less you'll believe the truth. The more you inundate yourself with these voices and drown out the voice of God, the less faith you have, the less obedient you are, the more rebellion you are in. And the more you put at risk the very thing that Christ gave his life for. So who are you listening to? Do you surround yourself with noisy people who complain about giants? Or do you surround yourself with humble people who keep their focus on grapes? Ask the band to come up, but I've got two verses I want us to look at. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. 
Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, and he says this. He says, don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. The Bible tells us that we are to be in the world, but not of it. Jesus, in his prayer before his crucifixion, he makes it very clear that we are to go into the world to reach the world, but not allow ourselves to become one with the world. So don't be that weird Christian that that isolates yourself from the world, ignoring those who are perishing around you. But do be a Christian who is aware of who you allow into your inner circle. Do be a Christian that becomes aware and spirit-conscious of those that you let close to your family, into your home, things like that. You have to be wise. You have to be careful because bad company ruins good morals. Earlier in Corinthians, Paul says, don't you know a a little leaven leavens the whole loaf? It's going to affect all of the dough. But in Proverbs chapter 13, likely King Solomon, he writes, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. Who are you listening to? And typically when you say words like this, what what you will do and what I do if I'm listening to the sermon is I'm like, okay, um, I'm not allowing um, bloodthirsty, murderous villains into my life to infect my heart, so I'm cool. I don't hang out with people who, who want to kill me. Okay, that may be true. But you may be hanging out with people who have no desire for you to stay in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You may be interacting with people that don't get it. And I mean even family. Who has detracted you from following God's will? Remember, it was Jesus himself who said that a prophet is not received in his hometown. Oftentimes, it is those that you may historically have been closest to that might actually be infecting you with the most lies. You need to be aware of that, and you need to set up boundaries for yourself that God has led you to, that the Spirit has prompted you to follow, that others are surrounding you in faith and accountability to make sure that you protect this. Because if you don't protect it, the enemy would love to ravage you. Who are you surrounding yourself with? Are you surrounding yourself with people who challenge you like Danny talked about last week? Are you surrounding yourself with people who will encourage you, who will build you up, who will walk along beside you? And and sometimes the people who are actually not good for you, they're the people that are actually like, let me play the devil's advocate. I don't like the devil. I don't need his advocate. We don't need you to play the devil's advocate. Why don't you come on board with what God wants us to do? Why don't we encourage each other? Why don't we stir each other up all the more as we see the day approaching? What voices do you listen to? Because I've seen people's lives destroyed because they had the wrong voice in their ear. Because they've had the wrong words 
being ingested into their life. Not just things they watch or listen to or read, but I'm talking about people in their life. And for some reason, God wants me to just land on this today. Be cautious of who you have in your circle. Be cautious. Be aware. Pastor, I might have, I don't care if you offend them. Be cautious. If someone's not safe for you, be aware of it. Moses must have been so frustrated constantly in front of these people, leading these people, teaching them God's work for their lives. Moses was thrust into the most difficult circumstances on their behalf, but they did not listen to him. And it wasn't Moses' fault. It was theirs. Moses was just called to be faithful. Moses was called to be obedient to his call, regardless of how people he called would respond. Joshua and Caleb, same thing. Imagine how beside themselves they were. They were so beside themselves, they tore their shirts. It wasn't their fault that the nation didn't inherit the land. In fact, it was their fault that they did. If it wasn't for Joshua and Caleb, God would have been done. But Joshua and Caleb stood in the gap for millions. Who are you standing in the gap for to speak words of faith and encouragement when everybody else is screaming what they're against? Joshua and Caleb gave people an opportunity to step into what God had for them. Because this this service is is broadcast, um, man, I could just tell so many stories without using names and changing all sorts of circumstances, but I don't want to do that. I can just say, I have seen lives fall apart over this issue. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? you're, You're the nation of Israel. I'm the nation of Israel. Who are we listening to? Who will we obey? And everything in our culture right now is telling us the Bible, not only is it not true, but if you believe it, you're a bigot. The Bible isn't true, and if you believe it, then you're just following an imaginary sky fairy. The Bible is not true, and if if you believe in the Bible, then you're against freedom in our nation. You're against democracy in our nation if you believe in the Bible. That's what 100% what culture is saying right now. You choose to listen to that or you choose to listen to the Word of God, which has stood the test of time, to listen to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and choose to follow Him regardless of who thinks it's great that you're following Him or not. Who will you listen to and who will you follow? And and we've got to have this Joshua moment because Joshua, at the end of his life, when they did take the land, he said, you all do what you want. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. You, culture, you, you can do, do what you do. We're, we're going to serve God. If you don't like it, if you want to pick up stones and kill us, go for it. We're serving God. Would you bow your heads?
if you could, uh, again, bow your heads, close your eyes. And I'd like you, if you could, just begin to ask the Lord, begin to call on the Lord, God, is there, any, is there any voice in my life that should not be there? Is there anything in my life that I'm listening to that's causing me to miss out on what you have for me? It might not even be something that seems evil or sinful, but there's just, there's something that you are allowing to direct your life that you should not have directing your life. Is there someone that you have tied yourself to that you have a stronger tie to than you have with God? Is your dependency upon another person causing you to choose them over choosing God? We do it all the time. I believe that the Lord is calling some of us this week, I strongly believe this, to eliminate the news. Eliminate the news. Not talking about liberal news or conservative news because anything that typically labels itself as news has an agenda and it's not news. You are getting so caught up so wrapped up in voices that might even be shouting good things. But God wants you to listen to his voice, which isn't shouting, but is whispering to your heart the truth. Take a break. Take a break from the news this week. Maybe not all of you, but I believe strongly. Some of you need to take a break. Some of you need to take a break from social media. Just just take a break. TikTok will still be there in a week. Take a break. Because the voices you're listening to are not the truth. The more you listen, the more you believe. The less you listen to God, the less you believe. As we're preparing to sing this last song, here's a a little personal note from your pastor to you as a church. Uh, Sometimes I feel like Moses. Sometimes I feel like um, I've given my life to help you connect with God, to, to move forward in your relationship and your community with him and with God's people. And oftentimes it feels like it's for nothing. This is me being real. And over this season of COVID, we could call the COVID season, um, I am so grateful and so rejoicing that our church is still here, that our church is still worshiping every Sunday, that we haven't let go of any of our staff members that enable this church to even function. We've paid our mortgage. We've paid our utility bills. I'm grateful for those things. But if we're not connecting if we're not moving forward in a mission that God has before us, we're not really doing anything except fulfilling seats. So sometimes as the leader of this church, people will, will say loud things, pastor, the church needs to do, the church needs to do, the church needs to do, the church needs to do. And what people are often saying is, pastor, you need to do, you need to do, I'm, I'm, I'm not here for that. I'm here to do with you. 
to lead you to do what God's called you to do. It's my job as a pastor to equip you for works of ministry that God has called you to do because we are a unique body where everybody has a different part to serve within our community. Amen? Everybody takes part. And so oftentimes as a leader, I will say, okay, we will do this. We will do this. We will do this. And this is crazy. This is not me meddling because I'll tell you why I'm doing this. The people that shout the loudest that tell church leaders what the church should do, they don't show up and do it when the church does it. That's That's not a secret. It's true. The people that shout the loudest don't actually do the thing they begged you to do. So what I wanted to say as your pastor is, I want you to get ready for the fall. Get ready for the fall. Get ready for the month of September and October. Because as a church, we got by during COVID. But we need to be done getting by. It's time we start moving and thriving again. No more getting by. You hear that? No more, we'll, we'll just make it. We'll, we'll, we'll. Yes, thank God he brought us through. He brought us through the Red Sea. It's time to start marching to the promised land again. And there are some things that our church, even though I'm so grateful for so many great things, we have failed to connect in community as we have in the past. So small groups will be starting again, and it will be a push to be in one. We're going to start teaching classes here to help you grow closer in your faith with Jesus Christ. There are going to be opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for you to come and pray, for you to go and serve, for you to volunteer within your church, for you to be taught the word of God, for you to connect with others and grow. And you say, Pastor, that sounds like all of my time. No, you could probably do it all in like five hours a week. Invest into this so that you can change the world. There's going to be opportunity, and we are going to make a big deal about it. So this is where I give you those announcements I said I was going to give. A couple of things I want you to be aware of for the next four Sundays. Next four Sundays. If you want to just not get by and if you want to thrive and start stepping into a new season in your life and in this church and this community, um, this next four weeks we're going to begin to prepare our hearts for what the fall has. And so next Sunday, um, after our 11 a.m. service, we're going to have a, a beach trip, just a beach party hang out, enjoy each other's company. We have at least one person who has asked to be baptized in the ocean. They're crazy. Um, If you would like to be baptized in the ocean, come talk to me, sign up on our app. We'll baptize you and pray you don't get frostbite in the ocean as well. So just come. If you say, I don't know anybody, please come. You won't ever know anybody if you don't know anybody. Come. Sunday after 11. The next Sunday, if you are the loud voice that says, Pastor, why doesn't Sunday, August the 14th at 6.30 p.m., we are having just a prayer night. I, would, I want to see everybody here. All we're doing is praying. No, no worship music. We're just praying. Praying, God, make way for this new season. Make way. Don't say we need more prayer and then not show up to pray. I already know that's going to happen. Don't do it. Don't let it be you. Um, on the 21st, the slide is a little misleading. The 21st, we're going to have a swimming party. I, uh, I put in the Turner Pool too soon because I haven't heard back from them yet. So ignore the part that says Turner Pool. Somehow we're having a pool party on the 21st. Well, that's not spiritual. Oh, it's very spiritual. Everything is spiritual. This is a great way to connect. 
great way to connect um, to enjoy the heat, to enjoy the summer. We're going to have pool party. All ages, kids, adults, old people, everybody's swimming. And then on the 28th, um, Casey and Tim have been announcing this for a long time. On the 28th, we are having our first preview service in downtown Salem. And that's going to be at the Ike Box. The Ike Box, I, I don't know the cross streets, um, but it's right by the YMCA. The Ike Box has opened up their facility for us um, for next to nothing. This is going to be an amazing time. August 28th will be a worship night with a very short encouraging word. Um, Tim Warnock is leading um, our charge with this campus in downtown Salem. I'll be giving a short message. Um, he'll be facilitating and ministering to people. Casey's building up an amazing worship team. He'll be back from his paternity leave, and we're going to worship our guts out on August 28th and ask God to do something in this city. And we're going to do that in September, in October, in November. We're doing something special in December, and the goal is by January, this would meet every single week at 6.30 p.m. in downtown Salem at the Ike Box. Grapes, it's time to go for them. It's time to go for grapes. We, no more getting by. No more making it. This is silly. We've got to thrive. We've got to move forward. We've got to do what God's called us to do. Would you stand? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, the challenge that you gave us today. Lord, if there be a voice in my life that should not be there, I pray I would remove it and that you would help. God, if there are more people that I need to listen to to be encouraged by, God, I pray that you would move them closer to me and that I would be receptive. God, the same prayer I pray for everybody here in the name of Jesus. I pray that we would receive your gift of grace through faith and that faith would lead us to obedience and not fear and rebellion. God, take what we have and multiply it. Our time, our resources, our energy, God, as we use it for your kingdom. God, I pray that during this next season, literally the fall and beyond, that we would choose not to get by any longer, not just to sit around Mount Sinai, but to actually move forward into what you've called us to do and to choose grapes and not giants. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Let's sing.